Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Hey, Gavin. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Thank you and Happy New Year to you as well. This is our first episode back in 2023. So welcome back to tomorrow's news. How was your break, Gavin? It was great. I'm here in Orange County in the US. Um, I've been here since the middle of December and I'll get back to Sydney next week. It's been really wet. Natural gas prices are very high in the state of California because it's both cold and a pipeline uh, ruptured. So uh, we'll talk about inflation, but uh, everybody is talking about how their uh, energy bills in this state are doubling anyway, while they're going down everywhere else in the U.S. Yeah, interesting. Well, I have to admit that over the holidays, I did no reading. I'm pretty sure I turned my phone on to flight mode for a few days. Perhaps uh, maybe you can catch us up on what's been happening over the holidays in the market. The good news is you generally don't miss much over the holidays. So I think you did exactly the right thing. I tried to get through my reading list. I certainly got through a couple of the books that I put out there. And I hope you got through some enjoyable reading as well. You know, generally this period from the middle end of December through the about now in, in January is lower liquidity and lots of volatility without really the market going anywhere. And that's exactly what's happened. Okay. So the big news, of course, was this morning, yes. uh, 8.30 a.m. Eastern, CPI came out in line in large part. Everybody thought it was going to be better. And so if you follow people on Twitter, what we call FinTwit, Everyone was like, ah, oh, everyone's positioned bullishly. And then if it's just in line, the market's going to go down a lot because by and large, everybody wants to start out bearish. Why do they want to start out bearish? Well, because the markets have sort of been in range bound now for a, a few months. And the bias is there's so much bad news, you know, mm. so many things you can talk about that should weigh on equities and on risk and so forth. So, but of course, markets turned out pretty positively today. Now, fortunately, I was positioned risk on, so that worked out nicely for me, but it doesn't always happen that way. In fact, very often it doesn't. But why was I positioned that way? Okay, why was I positioned that way? And interesting, while I'll talk about in positioning for 2023, why am I thinking about some real risks in equity markets and elsewhere? and perhaps how to just think about the composition of the year. Mm. So let's start out with talking about the biggest topic for certainly last year, but it was also a big topic in 2021. We just didn't do enough about it, which is inflation. So what's going on with inflation? Well, you can look at plenty of smart people who will say to you today and be right on it, and you can see it in CPI numbers today, there is actually deflation in goods. I put out that there's deflation in Teslas. Used Teslas are down about 17% year over year. Their price is coming down. Used cars are coming down. Mm. There's no question there's deflation. There is deflation in shelter. There is deflation in apartment rents. Now, it's not showing up in the CPI data as quickly. It lags. Yes, why is that? And so in the CPI data today, you actually saw it pretty much consistent with where it's been the last few months. That is, however, on a downward trend. 
right? Okay. We are apartment rents are not continuing to accelerate in the U.S. But the area that is pronounced, and I think it's a major issue for the market this year. I think it's a major issue for us to be concerned about. Is shows up in a work called services, but it's wage inflation. Okay. You know, what's going on with wage inflation? Well, it's pretty simple. We've seen lots of news of layoffs, layoffs mm-hmm. at every company, massive layoffs, lots of engineers getting laid off, lots of white collar employees getting laid off, some warehouse employees at Amazon getting laid off. But we are short people to do jobs in America. We're still short. And what does that mean? That means that we are continuing to see incremental pressures upwards on wages. Now, part of what's going on there, of course, is the lag effect, right? So for the last two years, you know, everyone, everyone says, well, CPI like X volatile food and energy. But if you're a person, you eat food and you got to drive to work. So food and energy is pretty important, right? Yeah. So you look at that lag effect and you say, hey, two years ago. It cost me $100 for this basket. And today it's maybe 125 or 130. If my wage hasn't gone up mm-hmm. by that amount, I'm behind. And by the way, that is the real experience of most Americans. So you can talk to me all day long about, oh, how there's layoffs and you know fewer jobs or whatever. But my experience out there is, is lots of people want to hire me. And my experience of my employer is, boy, it's sure still difficult to hire people. So we're going to see continued wage pressures. So I don't think we're out of the woods on inflation yet. Mm. That means that the Fed probably not going to do these big rate hikes, 50 and 75 basis points. Certainly going to do 25. They may do more. And they're probably going to keep those rates higher for longer. As long as they possibly can without causing not just a recession, but some kind of massive deflationary and negative economic event. Okay. So I think what happens this year, as we look at the setup, is that the economy sort of grows modestly. But what happens with companies, and this is critical, what happens with companies is revenues start to slow because, of course, you know, the consumer is starting to slow their spending. And unfortunately, Costs are also rising for companies. Still going to cost more to have all those employees and so forth. So margins get squeezed. Multiples come down. That happens with higher interest rates anyway. And so I think the first part of this year is going to be still very volatile Mm. around inflation data and around earnings data. And I would see the lows occurring in equities in the first part of this year. Now, it may happen suddenly, it may happen slowly, we don't know yet, but it isn't happening today, and it may not happen right in the near term. And the reason for that, of course, is that so many people sound like me. There are so many bears, and if you look at the data on investors, they're all bearish. Mm. So the first thing you got to do to make stocks go down is make them go up, get everybody to go from bearish to going, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to miss out. Mm-hmm. And then you can make them go down a lot, right? Just the way markets unfortunately work. So I think overall, and I wrote this in my piece in 2023, I think we get a point to point single digit return year, mm-hmm. somewhere between, you know, four or five percent and probably no more than, you know, eight or 10. Mm-hmm. But I think from the low point of this year, we could be, do better than 20%. And in certain 
areas like small cap stocks and emerging markets, we're going to do a lot better than that. We're actually going to see a great year. Okay. So and what about what about currency? I mean, I'm just yeah. going to jump straight into yeah, AUD, USD. What are you looking at there? I know you shared some of your views today as well in the group and the focus that we should be having on AUD at the moment in Australia. 100%. So I had argued that we'll see a low in AUD somewhere 64 to 66 cents. I'm becoming less convinced that we will see 66 cents again in this cycle. Okay, a couple of things going on. Number one, inflation data in Australia is still really strong. The RBA has got to raise rates. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two, demand for Australian goods, uh, particularly out of China, continue to increase. And Australia looks pretty cheap on a balance of payments basis. So near-term target for the Aussie dollar, 71 cents-ish, right? May pull back from there. But I think the Australian dollar is going to be a massive performer in 2023 and could be a massive performer over the next three to five years based on another thematic that I think is critical here. Mm. And that is what I'd broadly call emerging markets commodities. Okay. Because the, the thing to pay attention to is that once we took Russia out of the commodities business, which we mm. sort of have, right? Other than selling to China and India and a few other non-aligned nations, they can no longer really sell to anybody else. Everybody in the world is going to have to go and look for a safe places to source their commodities. Well, yes. the great thing about Australia, the lucky country, of course, we got lots of commodities. We got the commodities the world wants, and that will make us a net recipient of investment dollars will boost our exports and probably boost the value of those exports. Mm. So big, long picture here is good for Africa, good for Latin America, good Mm. for Australia, good for Canada. It is about that long-term commodity trend. Now, the other thing that goes along with that, of course, is the US dollar. Because it would be foolish to say what's happening for the Australian dollar is only about Australia. It's actually about the US dollar as well, because you can see the euro has actually taken off. So what's going on with the US dollar? Well, it's a really interesting question. There's lots of stuff written on this. But the big problem for the US is that they've got a massive deficit. And when you want to take interest rates up in order to quash inflation, and you've got a big deficit, you're effectively increasing your cost of all that borrowing, and you're getting into a spiral where people might begin to wonder, hmm, what's the value of the underlying currency, right? Because Mm. the US can't go bankrupt because it borrows in its own currency. Yes. What does it do? It just prints more of its own currency to pay you back. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're Chinese or you're Saudi or you're Australian for that matter, you might say, hmm, not so sure of the sustainability of that relative value. And so the U.S. is in a really interesting box here. Now, because of the way markets acted last year, people have very long U.S. dollars. And so I think that the U.S. dollar is finished its up cycle. Um, We may see little spikes and this and that. But overall, this story is... What happens to the U.S. dollar on the downside now after that massive upward run last year? And we can talk about this in another podcast, but I think that what's critical for investors in Australia is 
now is your time where you want to be repatriating those U.S. dollars. You know, you want to be buying Australian dollars or other currencies. Mm, mm. And what about maybe China? Could we touch a little bit on that? Yeah. China's opening up. We're sitting in Australia, a very long-standing relationship with China on trade, on people. What's yeah. happening there, and how's that impacting in the markets? And, and for sure, yeah, you know, it's interesting, right? Because we sort of bottomed out in in October, November. China's uninvestable. Mm-hmm. She is a dictator. You know, it's all a disaster, and that was the bottom of the market. And we've had a massive rally since then. Obviously, we've had an up opening up of China, and I wrote a couple of things about that. First off, I think we're probably a little overheated on the trade in the near term, mm. but I think that China is probably a good trade for the year. And a couple of reasons for that. I mean, one of them, which is super obvious, is that you know you do have a natural resumption of domestic consumption in China that's going to occur here. Mm. And that's going to be helpful just to business in general. There's a high savings rate. Those savings, the Chinese government sure hopes that people are going to go out and consume. We'll see what they do. We don't know, but we would assume that they will do a little bit of that. And that's going to be helpful, of course, to all kinds of companies. So overall, China looks pretty good. And of course, China is going to do something else that's pretty interesting is now that it's completely opened up and businesses are operating as normal. China exports deflation. So when China's operating in at you know full strength, it's exporting as many, you know, party hats and iPhones as the world can manage. And of course, given that we've got softening global demand for everything, prices are going to come down. And all of that built up inventory is going to flow out. And so I think that's exporting deflation going to be very interesting to see how that uh, plays out. But overall, I think China's a positive. It's a positive for Australia. Um, There seems to be with a new government, you know a lot more about this than I do, Lucy, a certain detente and opening up of relationships. And that's only ever going to help Australia. Look, I think China is a very good trade. I do caution people that it's a trade and not an investment because many of the companies are very opaque financials. There's lots of macro and political factors that are, you know, almost uh, impossible Mm. for investors to understand and to react to properly that confound you. So, you know, overall, it's a good trade. I I think the best way to play China, in my view, has been to buy EEM, which is the Emerging Markets ETF, which is overweight China. And there's a couple of things I like about that. One is it's a bit of a chicken way to play the trade, and it fits into the other macro commodity cycle and a non-US dollar cycle. So, you know, I think that's probably the more conservative, but probably going to be a great trade for the year, in my view. Uh, overall, I'm a big fan of the emerging markets trade in general. Yeah, no, that's, that's super interesting. Well, anything else, any other thematics that you're looking at, excited about? thinking about? Yeah. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the negative for a moment. So we talked a little bit about earnings contraction. And I think where I think we're going to see earnings contraction in the most pronounced way is probably in what I call premiumization companies. I keep picking on Lululemon. I'm not sure I'm right. I don't have really profound insights there. 
But one of the insights that I do have from experience is looking at companies that are not dissimilar in a decelerating revenue environment, in an inflationary environment, in in a part of the market, apparel in their case, but many, many other parts of the market this, this could apply to, the consumer has lots of replacement articles that at the margin gnaw away at both revenue and margin for companies like Lululemon. So what I see is premium companies struggling as the consumer says, you know what? I actually happened to look it up, you know, Lululemon tights versus Nike tights. Now, you're going to tell me, Lucy, that they're not comparable, that the Lululemon is significantly superior, and I'm going to believe you. But the price differential is material because I can buy a pair of Nike uh, yoga tights. Yes. If I were to wear such a thing, I can buy a pair of Nike yoga tights here in the U.S. for about $40, $45. I think they're $85 or so at Lululemon. Wow. Um, it's a vast differential. Lululemon and traditionally doesn't discount a, right. a lot there. That's been one of their strengths. Now, of course, they're really long inventory at the moment, so we'll see how long that lasts. Now, the nice thing about them is yoga tights aren't quite seasonal. A black yoga tight kind of works all year round and every year. So there is benefit to that. But nonetheless, the pressure is coming in. And you're seeing new brands who slightly undercut and so forth. So I think premiumization companies, premium companies see a lot more pressure. Mm. And that's where, you know, if there are companies going to be revalued significantly lower, that's where they are. On the flip side, I think we're going to be astonished at the sustainability of revenue and perhaps even earnings from productivity-oriented companies. That is companies that allow you as a business to not hire one or three or 10 extra employees, you know, documentum, DocuSign, you know, those kinds of businesses, Mm. very popular in the pandemic period. Well, at the end of the day, there's still productivity tools. And there are Mm. many of those companies out there, many of them private, to be honest, but the sustainability of revenue there, I think, could well surprise us. It's one of the things that we're, you know, in my meetings with VCs this week, all of them are highlighting that most of their companies, even if they're pretty conservative about 2023, are actually experiencing pretty good revenue retention. Interesting. Um, so SaaS, a customers. lot of SaaS? Companies. A lot of SaaS companies, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And the reason for that, of course, is that, you know, first of all, it's, you know, it's embedded in within an enterprise, so it's hard for it to strip it out. But mm. secondly... It is productivity enhancing. Mm. And the last thing you want to go and do is take out a technology tool and add another employee. You'd rather add a technology tool than add an employee. So, Mm. you know, that's one of the thematics that I think could could surprise us to the upside. Yeah. Okay. Well, you talk a little bit about your conversations with the VC managers and you're obviously... We're very heavily invested in VC. We are as well at BFA. Anything's of note there? That's probably more for a unpacking for a separate episode, but perhaps we can just touch on a few key points today. Sure. Look, I think the consensus is that the market is a buyer's market, that is an investor's market through the first part of this year. Hearing a lot of talk about structured trades, 
particularly into the late stage growth pre-IPO space, structured preferreds and convertibles with much more, less upside, but more certainty of return. The consensus is that we see an IPO M&A market emerging by the end of 2023. We'll see if that comes to pass in maybe 2024. Most folks are pricing themselves now in anticipation of a return of public market multiples being higher later in the year. Mm. And if there's one place of caution, it would be we may see an IPO market, and we've often seen this in the past, but actually the IPOs are pretty cheap. It's actually a good market to be buying IPOs, frankly. And then what you don't see is sort of these mega valuations come back early on. You see high quality companies at very reasonable multiples. That could mean some exits, but probably not the kinds of you know blowout exits that we've seen in prior cycles. But you know, my conversations, of course, it's early in the year and people are always bullish about their own companies in their own portfolio, is that overall growth trends look very much in place in terms of the fundamentals of the company. Companies are having a better experience in hiring engineers and so forth, which is great. But uh, the companies themselves are all very cautious about what the balance of the year brings, particularly if they need capital in 2023 and 2024. The focus, and I wrote a little note in our VC chat about this, is on what I would call efficiency or profitability metrics mm-hmm. versus on pure growth metrics. We should do a separate call on you know podcast on that. I've got you know five or six meetings over the next a few days that hopefully will give me more uh, intelligence as well. Absolutely. Well, I think we've covered a lot. We've got inflation, commodities, China, USD, AUD, VC. There's a bunch of things that I think we should all be thinking about. Maybe to wrap up in the end, what are the top three that you think investors should be having, I think, at least in the first half of this year. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the first one is inflation is going to be volatile. We could see inflation and deflation trends this year. We're not, this will not go be easy. So just be cognizant of that. Number number two, we're not out of the woods from an, an equity valuation perspective. So still recommend a slightly cautious stance there. And then lastly, it is the end of the US dollar for the cycle, in my opinion. And that now is the time to be getting long on an incremental basis, uh, Australian dollars. You want to be thinking about how you're going to repatriate your capital and be doing that over the next couple of months. Excellent. Thank you very much, Gavin. And true to our tradition, if you do have a Twitter follow for 2023, anyone of note that comes to mind? Sure. Well, I don't agree with his post from today, but a guy named Andreas Steno Larsen, who's Danish, a uh, fantastic economist, a fantastic strategist, is well worth a follow. Uh, Lucy will put that in with his podcast. He's very, very bright. He's arguing that we're actually into a deflation cycle, uh, net of shelter. I think he's a bit aggressive on that, but he's very, very smart and certainly add him to your list. Amazing. We'll include that in the show notes and perhaps we'll be able to get Andreas onto the show for some controversial discussion. He's developed quite a profile over the last year. I'm not sure I can. That'd be a good idea though. I agree with you. 
Amazing. Well, that's tomorrow's news. We will be back to our weekly schedule uh, next week. Have a great uh, day. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.